Serving is an extension and expression of God's love flowing through us. By serving, we allow God to use us to influence those around us. Whether it's working with the children on Wednesday nights, or whether it's working with our Prime to Serve group, 55 plus, or whether it's on short-term mission trips, or working with RVers on a mission, God wants to use us. He uses us in different ways. I love work working with the boys and girls on Wednesday nights because they're fun. I like working with the Prime to Serve because we have those of us 55 over have time, we have energy, we have skills, we have resources, we have money. We need to use that for the Lord. And we don't want to sit around and do nothing. On short mission trips, we are able to make an impact for the Lord. And this past winter, Ron and I had the privilege of volunteering at a church in Casa Grande, Arizona. And there we helped to build a Sunday school complex, which was two rooms and a couple bathrooms and the average age of the gentlemen helping was, was 73. The women painted um, wrought iron fence for six weeks and there was a lot of it. The people in the church were Native American, they were Hispanic, it was an Indian, there was um, some Panamanians and you know we were able to really enjoy ourselves there and allow God's love to flow through us to them and them to us. To impact those around us we need to serve so that God can flow through us and, and help those who need Him. I would suggest that if you're not serving, you're missing a boatload of blessings. We need to serve inside and outside the church to be able to allow God flow through us to help build His kingdom here on earth. Now let's pray. Father, uh, as we have taken in these images as we've once have been again been reminded of how uh, you use us and uh, the team there, Sheila and the team. Lord, we just uh, allow ourselves to be quiet before you and to remember, Father, that you have literally redeemed our lives and you have turned us around because you served us. You served us in the greatest way imaginable by dying for our sins and, Lord, rising again to give us victory. And so, Father, we just allow this moment and these images to sink in. And, Lord, remember that <clears throat> we, as called out, redeemed people, are called to reflect and to live the life that you lived. Because there are those, our neighbors, our friends, those that we don't even know the names that need to see and experience the love of God. Because you died for them just as much as you did for us. You love them as much as you do us. And so Lord, just allow us to remember that you're wanting to use us it's your call, you've called us. You've called us out, redeemed our lives, but you've called us to a life of living out your love. So Lord, speak to us in this moment, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> Thomas Friedman wrote a book about 10 years ago. It was a New York Times bestseller. <clears throat> and the name of the book was The World is Flat. 
the world is flat. Remember Christopher Columbus sailed uh, in 1492, the ocean blue. Remember those little rhymes you were taught in school? Um, to prove that the world was not flat, right? Or it really opened up that, uh, our civilization's eyes that that's not true. But Thomas Friedman writes this book, The World is Flat, basically saying, listen, the world as we have known it, and he goes through these steps of globalization, like globalization one was like 1492 to 1800, where it was really nation, nation type stuff. And then from 1800, the industrial revolution, globalization two, it's uh, multinational companies. And, and there was even a growth, even more of integration globally. But now, even from 2000 on, Globalization 3, things have just spun, have accelerated at an unbelievable rate. Just a, uh, just a sideline here. Do you realize you are living in the age where there is more invention and more change that has happened in the last 35 years than has happened in all of civilization before? Do you realize that? Now you understand why you're tired. <laughs> I'm not kidding though. I mean, we literally are living in lightning speed change and new things and new expo. We are, we're just, we're, it's just coming at us so quickly. And he talks about that and he says that one of the th reasons why the world has changed and now the world is flat is because there's been some things that have happened. But then he says that at the same time the way was paved, there was what he calls a triple convergence. It was a triple convergence of things like... Um, um, more global players, more countries have access to, to play in this environment, to work in this environment. The second conversion is we've changed our mindset of things like brick and mortar, walls, floors, and buildings. And, and now we can do things specialized and people can do things from homes. And, and there's just a whole different dynamic there. The third convent, convergence, it says, it gives individuals a chance to compete against anyone everywhere. And you literally, from your home, can run a business, a global business now, because of all the things that have converged and happened. The way has been paved and these things. But, he, but he, is, he says so pointedly in that book that these three things have to come together, had to come together for this explosion to take place, for this globalization to take place, for this world is flat kind of phenomenon. And I would simply remind you that I believe that uh, the, the three things that I've shared with you are the two and then today, this core vision is our triple conversions. These things, this connect and this worship and this serve, they are the triple conversion that God always wants to work in our lives that provide the platform, that provide the foundation for, them to, for then him to work out his vision that he has for our life. These are our triple conversion. Things like, and I would remind you of Stanley's, uh, Charles Stanley's quote, vision is a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. Vision is a preferred future. That is all, that is exactly what we are looking for, wanting to experience, to innate to who we are, and I believe that core to that, the vision that God has for our lives, the core values of that are worship, connection, 
and service. And so, we want to spend some time today touching on this idea of serve. You know, there's a lot of service organizations out there. Um, I'm a part of some of those um, that, that, that serve our communities, that serve uh, different uh, areas of our, of our culture. Our country was founded on a strong foundation of service, and it still carries that theme even to this day. I mean, I'm reminded of this one guy this week, this football player, um, didn't want to stand for the national anthem. And I just observed that whole thing going on. Um, and just the, the outrage that has happened and the amount, the volume of people that have had things to say about that. And one of the things core to, to what they, they're outraged about is the fact that our country was built on people who sacrificially served this country and gave their lives and gave their service. We have this, we have this unique uh, perception of what service is because it's all around us in our culture. But I would like to take you to a little bit different place in trying to understand what it is we talk about in the in the life of a believer when we talk about service. Um, in the Old Testament, God desperately wanting to move back into our world to reveal himself, to show himself, to, to ultimately reach back down into humanity and, and save us from our lost condition. He begins this process of, of calling out a man named Abraham and starting a nation, Israel, with the primary purpose of beginning to reveal himself to the world at large. He uses them as a vehicle to show the world what he is like and, and his, his moral character, his nature. He even asked him to do some pretty crazy stuff that we don't even do today for the express purpose of saying, listen, God, God is, God's way or God's desire is vastly different than the way this world rolls. And so he's doing that all throughout. He, he's, uh, he's revealing himself and showing himself through Israel. And, and then we even move into the New Testament. And we see in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Christ himself and his disciples become the primary vehicle to reveal to the world at large who God is and what he's about. As we, begin to, as we continue to turn the pages of Scripture in the New Testament, we come to this book of Acts. And the second chapter and the day of Pentecost and the church has started, the church that we're a part of. And we see that now the dynamic has switched to the church is now the primary vehicle through which God has designed to communicate to the world. And yet Jesus so beautifully revealed to us that if his church is the vehicle that he's going to communicate to the world, he gives us some insight into what that church is going to look like, what it is going to display, and how it is going to act. He says things like, by this all men will know that you are my disciples because you have love for one another. In fact, John 17, we read Jesus praying, I pray that all men would know that the Father and me are one. We are one and I pray that they may be one, that all men might know that the, 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 
because the church is united and one, all men may know that you have sent me, Father, to save the world. And so the church has now become this unique witness of who God is, how he acts, what he thinks. And in that, we are giving a a witness to the world about the character, the nature, and the love of our God. It's kind of like this. Jesus said it in Matthew chapter 5. He said this, that you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty? That's a lot of salts there, isn't it? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. We are now literally the preserving influence in the world. The preservation of God's nature, of God's values, of God's character in our world. We're the salt of the earth. And then not only that, we are the light of the world. We are the beacon that shines out and shows this world that they do not have to be lost. In fact, the scriptures continue this idea when he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on God's Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, I mean, what we have going on when we come together and what's going on at large when churches are come together, the huge deal is we have become the witness to the world of who God is and what he wants to do. That is a huge, huge deal. But what does that look like? And what is mixed up in that? And I love what Mark chapter 10 says when uh, Jesus uh, shares these thoughts. When he says, um, he says the heathens, they operate in this way. And then he uses these four little words, not so with you. I actually have preached a series called not so with you. And, And this is primary to what he's saying. But this, my church, my witness to the world, that's not the way it is. This is the way it is. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Verse 45, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The way that the witness that we are to the world works, the way that it happens is when God's people take on the nature and the character of servanthood. Just as our Lord and Savior did. He came to serve. Not to be served. And to give his life a ransom for many. And in his doing that, he changed the world. He changed the whole playing field. He changed the whole paradigm. And so the equation still is the same that God's people, Christ's followers, also live, take on this whole mantra of service. Serving one another, correct? 
Because in serving one another, we find that our love is so dynamic and so beautiful and so um, the world just looks on and say, wow, and Jesus' words are true. By all this, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples through your love for one another. And that comes when we serve one another. Um, you know, Ephesians 4 kind of says this, verse 16. For him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And so when we begin to look at the scriptures and, okay, I see we're the deal now, we're the church, we are God's representation to the world. Um, wow, that's... That's uh, overwhelming, so to speak. What does that look like? It's wrapped up and essentially it is wrapped up in love and love is born out of service. But then the scriptures begin to kind of play that out for us and what it looks like. I like this picture, um, this, this image. In uh, Moorhead, Minnesota, Concordia College, uh, it's right across the state line from Fargo. Most of us know where Fargo is just because they, they always love that place and TV shows and movies, but Fargo, North Dakota. I want to tell you, if you've ever been to North Dakota or South Dakota, somebody was just there, right? North Dakota, South Dakota. Not a lot going on, is there? Um, I think it's great fishing, Jeff, but it's not, that, that's about it. Um, and it, it's really, the winters are just bleak. And uh, I think Kip and Carol actually lived there for a while, didn't they? Um, it's just not much going on. And in this small town right across from Fargo is Concordia University. And every Christmas, they do this, um, they do this, this concert. They have a huge choir and um, a full orchestra. And, and um, <clears throat> it's a big deal to the community. I mean, it's one of the happening things of the year. But every year they have, they have created a backdrop that when you come in the concert hall, yeah, right there, look at that. Isn't that beautiful? Um, that's the backdrop from one year. There's other images of uh, this. That's what happens. And they look forward to this. But you know, that starts in the summer when they, they figure out, okay, this is what we want the background to look like. And we're going to map it out. We're going to be able to digitally do it. But then... What we're going to do is this is made up of just tiles, tiles, tons of tiles that then get put together. And what we do and what we ha happens is the community from junior high schoolers all the way to senior citizens. During the summertime, they come in, they donate their time, they give and they serve. And all they do is they take a tile or two and they just paint whatever the number is on that tile, they just paint it. If it's a six, it means red. They just paint red. They have no idea what they're, they, they just painted their tile. And over time, as these, I don't know, thousands of tiles are painted, they then are able to put this together. And what happens is these beautiful backdrops, these beautiful image, these impressionable things that people walk away knowing and, and they're just attracted to and drawn to. He says it's interesting, the story is people will walk into the concert 
And they'll have painted a tile, but they had no idea what they really were painting. It was just a red block or a red and green or blue and green. And they come in and they see. They see, you know what? Look at how that all fits together now. In doing my simple part, I became a part of something that was so much bigger and more powerful and more impactful. You know, that's the scripture's whole idea about this idea of service. The kingdom of God, the people of God, the representation to the world, are his people bringing the gospel all have a particular role and place in his kingdom. And if you and I fulfill that role, we'll serve in that particular role. What is really happening is far beyond even what we can comprehend and imagine. And the big deal is being played out in our world. And his kingdom is coming and his will is being done. So often people are like, well, um, that I, I just seems so big to me and I can't. Um, uh, and, and so, and so, we just balk or we stop or we don't really believe that what I'm good at, what I've been skilled at and what God is calling me to use into the kingdom, it's really not gonna make a difference. And I'm telling you that absolutely the way this is set up, in fact, we're gonna see this in just a minute, is when you don't do your part, the kingdom suffers. It hurts. It's not as healthy and strong and vibrant and the witness is impacted in our world. You know, I read this, you know, about one-third of us uh, buy gift cards at a department store for, uh, for gifts for our family and friends. About one-third of us buy gift cards to restaurants for our families and friends. A lot of gift cards are bought in our culture. In fact, um, in this uh, this study by the Journal of State Taxation, the typical American home has an average of 300 unused or unredeemed gift cards. They're either misplaced, accidentally thrown out, or partially redeemed. Some of you are like, that's not me. You give me something, I spend it all the way down to the last penny. In fact, they say between 2005 and 2011, 41 billion dollars in gift cards went unused. 41 billion dollars just sitting there doing nothing. Paid for and yet wasted. You remember Jesus, Matthew 25, talking about this. Hey, my kingdom, it's, it's about everybody. I need you to use what I've given you. And he talks about, I'm going to give you a story about a man with five talents, two talents. You remember that? And basically the moral of the story is, listen, everybody's been given a talent and God absolutely created you to use your talent. He's paid for it. He's paid for it. Now he's calling you to use what he has given to you and provided for you to do. David Brooks, author and columnist of the New York Times, maybe you recognize him. Not necessarily a a Christian voice, but uh, a guy that you read and you're like, yeah, that guy, he's, you know. He says that he made this comment. He said, commencement speakers are always telling young people to follow their passions, to be true to themselves. 
He said, but honestly, what are we doing? This is a vision of life that begins with self and ends with self. But he said, people who make a difference, people who are on the road to character growth, do not find their vocations by asking, what do I want from life? They ask, what is life asking of me? How can I match my intrinsic talent with one of the world's deep needs? That's amazing coming from a guy that's not a believer. What is the world asking of me? And I would say, David Brooks, you understand the whole passion of Jesus Christ. For I didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that, that the world is about being served, but it's not so with you. That you have been called because you have been given this new life. Because you have been given something that uh, can't be bought and paid for. And it's life changing and it's this promise of glory and it's this abundant life now. That the way that that is then revealed and witnessed to the world around you is when you then live my life of serving others. <clears throat> William Lane Craig, um, one of my favorite absolute people to listen to. Um, honestly, is, I know Ravi Zacharias is well known, but William Lane Craig is the Christian apologist that atheists fear the most. Richard Dawkins won't even debate him. If you've ever watched, you can watch William Lane Craig on YouTube. I mean, just unbelievable ability to present the faith, the gospel in such a way. William Lane Craig actually uh, uh, was born with a syndrome, a neuromuscular disease that caused atrophy in his extremities. And so even now, if you watch him, he walks with a slight limp and sometimes his hands often look as if he's gripping an invisible object. He said growing up, he couldn't run normally. He said, my boyhood was difficult because children can be very cruel. And um, he said, since varsity sports weren't an option, he joined his high school debate team just because it was what was available to him. And he said initially in that whole thing, he wasn't very interested in spiritual issues, but said because of debate and stuff like that, he started reading the Bible and he says the Jesus he found there took a hold of him. And he said, for me, it was a, a question of personal commitment. Was I prepared to become this man's follower? He said during college, he continued debating and searching for his calling. And, and so he moved into philosophy. He, become a, he became a philosophy professor. But because of using his abilities with debate early on, it just morphed into the way that he became, he had the opportunity as a college professor of philosophy to be able to then begin to share his faith in a debate type style in an apologetics forum. And he said, this all came as a welcome surprise. He said, I was just thrilled to be able to use debates as a means of fulfilling this vision of sharing the gospel. I mean, he just kind of even stumbled on to what God had, had given him. He, 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 just, he just said yes. He just kind of pursued something and God then took it and made him the foremost voice in the world today, defending the faith to unbelievers and skeptics and atheists. That's what God does. If we'll just be willing 
to say, you know what, Lord? Just use me uh, and help me to, I have an interest in this. I can do this. Or, and I'm just going to feed that. I'm just going to take a step that way. I'm just going to serve your kingdom in this way. You have no idea what God can then do as you then partner with a believer beside you and people that have like-minded talents in a department here, something there, and God just begins to, it's like gasoline and you, with a fire. Boom. What God can do. And this, is how it, and this is how God's kingdom looks. I love this video, if you could share this. This was on TV. I don't know if it's still on TV. Android shared this commercial. But... Um, pretty annoying, isn't it, listening to the same note, even though the guy is just incredibly using his gift. And see, the kingdom, and I'm not going to take time to move into 1 Corinthians, but I challenge you, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about this whole dynamic, that God, his kingdom, his representation at the core of what he's trying to do with his kingdom is serving, serving people. Matthew chapter 25, even service of like a cold cup of water or you visited me in prison or you gave food and they're going to say, Lord, when did we do that? And he said, we, well, you, when you did it to these people, you did it to me. That's the context of eternal life type stuff. It's big deal to God about service and finding your place, finding your role. And Corinthians talks about, it uses the analogy of the body and how the body has all different limbs and different organs and different stuff and, and that's his body the body of Christ, his kingdom and it needs to be strong and healthy and vital to show the world what he can do but it takes the whole body working together and then the whole body being present. Remember he said stuff like if there's something not working in the body the whole body suffers. Right? I, I did a I had to go in for a doctor's deal and, and uh, I shared this with you, I think. I, I had liver enzymes and you know what? My body desperately needs me to have a healthy liver, doesn't it? It really does. Um, it needs healthy this and that. That's what he's trying to say is, listen, the way I've put this, uh, it's got 88 keys. I've given all different sorts of gifts and talents. And it's Romans chapter 12, 12 talks about the different gifts. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about different gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about different gifts. It spells out these things. And he's saying all these things are needed. And you need to get in, know your gift, and then serve with your gift. Because it's just like that body. It desperately needs people over here that can do this. People over here that are doing When those things are working together, his kingdom is strong and it's healthy and it's vibrant. And the world just looks on and says, wow, look at what that God is about and what he can do. 
And so, just core vision stuff to us. What does God want in our lives? He wants, did you worship? How did you connect? Where did you serve? I could tell you right now, even right now, I just went around to different departments this week, said, are you guys full? Or do you need, yeah, worship. We could use five to 10 people. Children, right now, today, no. We could use five to 10 people. Teen ministry, five people. Um, I just believe this is a part of who we are to be. This is a part of what our deal is. This is foundational, is this idea of where can I serve? God, what have you given me? What abilities? I've been talking to, uh, even in our community, I've talked to Judge McCauley. There's a drug court, and they desperately need mentors for people who are it, it, it stuck in drugs and stuff like that. Just had a great conversation with the guidance counselor at the school this week. There they're looking for mentors for kids who come from troubled homes. There are so many opportunities. And I believe going forward as a church, and we've done this, but this is kind of the big deal vision going forward. And maybe we'll be able to spell it out more specifically next year. But we are always looking for opportunities to serve because in serving, we live the life of Christ and we show the love of Christ who was the light of the world and now as he works in us, we are now the light of the world, pointing them to a glorious, gracious, loving God who wants to save them. There's service opportunities everywhere. You just need to find what you're good at, what God's gifted you with, and then plug in and use that in his kingdom. You know, I, I watched... The church has some different dynamics um, sometimes. We're kind of unique. I'm sure sometimes people look at us because, um, you know, we come together and when we read, we hear the word or we read the word and we, uh, when Jesus says something, we have a tendency to do things like, well, we're just going to memorize it. Jesus said, go and make disciples. So you know what? I just need to memorize that. Right? Or sometimes we'll say, you know what? We're just going to get together and study it. And Jesus said, go and make disciples. And so we're going to, I'm going to call my friends and we're going to get together and, and we're going to study what that means. And I can even tell you what that means in Greek. And all the while, Jesus is saying, go and make disciples. Sometimes we, we're interested in memorizing it, studying it. When he's calling us to do it. And in this, he calls us to worship, to connection, to service. And so just ending this service, 10, 15, woo. Tell you what, ushers, I've asked them, maybe you've never taken a spiritual gifts test. Maybe you don't quite know what I'm gifted in. I just want you to be able to walk out of here today with a tool that you can go home, you can sit down. It's 80 questions, but don't be, don't be intimidated by that. There's no right or wrong answers. It's just answer the question. One, I strongly disagree. Or two, I, or five, I strongly agree. You'll see how. You guys are smart people. You'll figure it out. 
But all I'm saying is I want to give you a, a tool to go home and say, hey, I've never really taken a spiritual gifts test. Uh, what am I? What, what am I? I know I have these certain passions. I know I seem to do good in these kinds. Of, well, here's a tool to kind of maybe affirm that. Or maybe if you've never taken one, maybe it'll open your eyes to how God has gifted you. And I would just simply ask this. Would you take the test? Would you do the little graph chart so it's easy for you to see? You'll figure it out. It's, you know, take 30 minutes and do a spiritual gifts test. And allow God to then speak to you in that way and say, you know what? He's gifted me this way. I'm going to find a way to serve in this way. And I would love it. I'm not, obviously, I don't have any authority to, to do this, but I would love it is if you would take that test and the results page, if you'd bring it back and, photo, and photocopy it for us, we can put it in a file. I would love to be able to see how God has gifted each one of you. So I'm just going to ask you, invite the ushers to just begin to pass those out to people. Just a tool, a way for you to say, you know what? I get the fact that God has gifted me and God has gifted me to serve his kingdom because his representation, his witness to the world is us. And the way he's made up this organization as he's given us all different talents and skills and abilities. And he then wants us to pool those things together to create a strong, healthy church that serves each other and serves the world in a strong and powerful way and ultimately proclaims the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ is the answer. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you call us to serve because you served us. And through service, we show your love and your grace. And we, we understand what it means to love God with all our heart and love our neighbor as ourself. That's what you did. That's what you call us to do. And so we want to be able to answer the question, where did we serve? Because we know that in service, you do powerful things in our lives and you help us to find our purpose. So Lord, make this real to us. Apply it to each heart as you would see fit. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great week.